Okay, there we go. So Parshat Baha Alotcha, beginning in Numbers chapter 8, verse 1. Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you kindle the lamps toward the face of the menorah, shall the seven lamps cast light. So, as you can see, this is the very, the very first subject of the Parsha is kindling the lights. Now, when we, when uh, Hashem is speaking to Moshe about it, He says, he's not saying the word for kindle as in lehadlik. He says, Lotcha. He says this word. So he's not exactly saying when you kindle the lamp. He's saying when you ascend the lamp. It's a very interesting difference of those words of kindling and ascending. So there are a couple of reasons why this is the word that is used. Shalom Alondra rather than the word for kindle, which is lihadlik. One of the reasons is because the menorah was on a platform with steps. So in order to kindle the menorah, the priest had to ascend the steps. He had to ascend up. And then the fire of the menorah was to ascend. And so there's this idea of ascension with the lighting of the menorah. It's not, it's not the same as, so we use a different word, rather than the word for kindle, even though it's translated kindle in English, when you read the, the Bible, what it's actually saying is ascend. And so we're going, to, we're going to read about this a little bit. We're going to think about why that would be the word used here, rather than lihadlik. Aaron did so. Toward the face of the menorah, he kindled its lamps, as Hashem had commanded Moshe. This is the workmanship of the menorah. Hammered out gold from its base to its flower. It is hammered out according to the vision that Hashem showed Moshe. So did he make the menorah. So it was one piece of gold. It was not cast. It was one piece of gold hammered. There was nothing um, attached to it or anything. It was hammered out from one piece of gold. Now it's very interesting when you think about this whole aspect of the kindling of the menorah. Now Moshe, I mean the Parsha just before in the so, we just we ended with talking about the gifts of the different princes of the tribes. And you notice that the tribe of Ephraim and the tribe of Manasseh are both listed with the tribes. Therefore, because you always only have 12, so there was conspicuously one tribe not there. That tribe was the tribe of Levi. All of the princes came. When you have a counting of Ephraim and Manasseh as two tribes rather than just the tribe of Yosef, then you don't count the tribe of Levi. And so, it was conspicuously missing, the Levites, were conspicuously missing from these gifts to Hashem, gifts to the tabernacle. 
And there was a reason for that, that Hashem did not ask of Aaron, as the prince of the Levites, to come and bring a gift. And the reason was because he was going to do something different. He was given something different. But he didn't understand this in the beginning. And so his thought was, oh wow, I have not been forgiven for the sin of the golden calf. And indeed he really had been forgiven, but there was a function, a, a job that he had to do that was connected with that sin. Now the sin of the golden calf is very similar to the sin of the eating over the forbidden fruit. Of course the person who ate the forbidden fruit first was Hava, the woman. Now women in the Jewish home are the ones who do what? We light the candles of Shabbat. We light the candles of the holidays. And the reason that women are given this special function in the home is because it is connected with the sin of eating from the fruit. Because when the woman ate from the fruit, darkness came into the world. So, to alleviate this darkness, women are given the function of lighting candles for the holidays to bring light into the world. It's a symbolic thing of bringing light to to rectify the bringing of darkness into the world. Hashem remedies that by giving us something opposite. And the same is true with Aaron. When he fashioned this golden calf, when he participated in this sin, he participated in darkness coming into the world through the sin of the golden half and for that to alleviate that to have a repair of that what you call in Hebrew tikkun Hashem gave him the special task of lighting the menorah now anybody could have lit the menorah his sons could have lit the menorah I'm, I don't mean anybody but I'm talking about of the other Kohanim he could have given that function to any one of them of his sons but he came to understand the beauty of it and the special function of lighting the menorah and so he always took it upon himself to do this and he ascended he he um La'alot, he went up to the menorah, even though he was very tall and he didn't really have to do this, he still ascended the steps to light the menorah. And it's interesting to note that the wicks of the menorah were, were um, pointed inward. It wasn't just straight up. It was inward toward the middle. And this is another symbol that we can look at this, that the wicks went inward toward the middle. So it was like all of the flame going up together, that they're focused inward toward the middle. And this is like the symbol of us having light focusing inward. It's we're rectifying ourselves, that we're, we're bringing the light of Hashem inside of us. And so the lighting of the menorah was a very special function in the temple, in the tabernacle. And this was something 
that was given to Aaron as a we could look at it in one way to say that it was a punishment or it was a tikkun a repair for the golden calf but in another way we can look at it and realize that indeed it was actually a gift it's interesting how sometimes we'll see something that Hashem tells us to do to fix something, to remedy something and most of the time we think of it as punishment it would have to be punishment, right? sometimes it's not at all sometimes what it actually is is a gift and then we can start understanding how even things that we look at as punishment are not really meant for our harm they're not meant to to knock us down they're meant to actually lift us up and this is an interesting thought when we think about the name of this Parsha La'alot to come up it's meant to lift us up because sin casts us down sin makes us low sin brings darkness into the world and so Hashem as a remedy He doesn't smash us down what He does is He gives us something to fix it and he gives us a way that we can participate in fixing that to bring light into the world in the place of darkness to lift us up where we were cast down by sin and this is a beautiful picture in this um, lighting of the menorah that Hashem gave to the function that Hashem gave to Aaron so instead of instead of um, reminding him of his sin of course when he lights this menorah he would think you know of the darkness that came into the world but he realizes that Hashem gives hope that it's not hopeless that he has the remedy the cure for those things that are ailments in the world and this is what we can always think of when we think of the lighting of the lamps and like I said when women light candles in a Jewish home every week and on every holiday this is what we think of that Hashem loves us so much he could have just wiped us out and started over but he didn't do that he said here I love you so much I'm going to give you ways of fixing those things that were broken and that's what the, the menorah is it's hope it's light it's hope Okay, now we're going to start with the, uh, go on to the fifth verse of the eighth chapter. And this subject is the consecration of the Levites. It was a very important thing that the Levites actually were going to replace the firstborn. First, after the slaying of the firstborn of Egypt, Hashem said all the firstborn were consecrated to him. And the original plan was that the firstborn would be the priest but then after the golden calf the sin of the golden calf Hashem said that the Levites would replace the firstborn so here is where the the Levites are being consecrated for their specific duties Hashem spoke to Moshe saying take the Levites from among the children of Israel and purify them so shall you do to them to purify them sprinkle upon them water of purification and let them pass a razor over their entire flesh and let them immerse their garments and they shall become pure 
They shall take a young bull in its meal offering, fine flour mixed with oil, and a second young bull shall you take as a sin offering. Now I'm going to stop right here for a moment and think about this where you where they pass a razor over their entire body. And this is sort of like when we talked about last um, last time about the Nazir, where he would cut his hair, and this was this was a new beginning. He was starting fresh, and so it's like he was shaving away everything that came before. And this is what the priests were doing. They're stepping into a new beginning. So here they bring a sin offering and this is also symbolic of we're starting over. You shall bring the Levites before the tent of the meeting and you shall gather together the entire assembly of the children of Israel. You shall bring the Levites before Hashem and the children of Israel shall lean their hands upon the Levites. And one of the of the opinions is that this wasn't all the children of Israel but actually this was the firstborn because the Levites were going to take their place and so they are dedicating them as their substitutes Aaron shall wave the Levites as a wave service before Hashem from the children of Israel and they shall remain to perform the service of Hashem so he's going to wave them and this means remember when we were talking about the high priest and how he had to be exceptionally strong Aaron would pick each one up and he's waving him before Hashem and so he had to be especially strong to be able to do this over and over and over the Levite shall lean their hands upon the head of the bulls and so here the bulls the sacrifices of the bulls are going to be the, like a substitute this is what a sacrifice is the substitute for the Levites for a sin offering one burnt offering to provide atonement for the Levites you shall stand the Levites before Aaron and before his sons and wave them as a wave offering before Hashem you shall separate the Levites from among the children of Israel and the Levites shall remain mine Thereafter the Levites shall come to serve the tent of the meeting and you shall purify them and you shall wave them as a wave service. For presented presented are they to me from among the children of Israel in place of the first issue of every womb the firstborn of every one of the children of Israel have I taken them to myself. So here you have where the, the Hashem is actually saying they are substitutes for the firstborn for every firstborn of the children of Israel became mine of man and livestock on the day I struck every firstborn in the land of Egypt I sanctified them for myself I took the Levites and placed every firstborn among the children of Israel then I signed the Levites to be presented to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel to perform the service of the children of Israel in the tent of meeting and to provide atonement for the children of Israel so that there will not be a plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel approach the sanctuary Moshe, Aaron and the entire assembly of the children of Israel 
did to the Levites according to everything that Hashem had commanded Moshe about the Levites, so that so did the children of Israel do to them. The Levites purified themselves and immersed their garments, and Aaron waved them as a wave service before Hashem, and Aaron provided atonement for them to purify them. Afterwards, the Levites came to perform their service in the tent of the meeting, before Aaron and before his sons, as Hashem had commanded Moshe concerning the Levites, so they did for them. So this is the dedication of the Levites that they were offered up. So what it had to happen, what was the um, initiation? All the hair on his body was shaven. And then on the third and seventh day of his purification, he was sprinkled with the waters of the para adama, of the red heifer, in order to be purified from the tamay of the tamet of the hamet of being exposed to the dead. So in case they had been, they had to be purified with the waters of the para adama. This is something that was is essential in order to have the services of the tabernacle of the temple. In order to have that, the priesthood has to be a has to be purified with these waters. It's called in English waters of lustration, the waters from the ashes of the red heifer. We can't have temple services now. One reason is because we don't have these ashes in order to make these waters of purification. And a lot of you understand. A lot of you know that Vindel. Vindal Jones is this is one of the main things that he's looking for is this kalal with the ashes of the red heifer in order that we can reestablish the services of the temple this is a very very important thing in order for us to be able to do it otherwise it would be it would be a desecration it would be a blasphemy to Hashem if somebody tried to perform the services of the priest and he was impure and Hashem gave us the remedy for being impure. He gave us the way to purify ourselves. Right now we don't have that. He offers his inauguration sacrifices. So he offers up the bull for his sin offering. And then he is waved. All of Kalal Israel is present when he's waved. But the... Um, like I said, that it was it was like the uh, the firstborn are the ones who are re- being replaced, and so just like a person lays his hand on a sacrifice that takes his place, the firstborn put his their hands on the Levites. It's very interesting to note that there's a similarity also with the. Ritual for preparing the Levites. There's a similarity to the ritual for purifying a leper. And one of the things is that he is completely shaven. Now, why would he have to be completely shaven? A leper is somebody who is like he was dead. 
Leprosy makes a person like he is a dead person. And so he has to be purified by being completely shaven and then he is sprinkled with the waters of, of lustration of the Paradama. So just same when the Levine replaced the firstborn they were replacing the firstborn who had offered um, sacrifices to the golden calf and so and an idol is depicted as something dead and one who offers to an idol this is something very important for us to understand somebody who offers to an idol is somebody who is offering to the dead this is how serious that is and so just like the lepers are like dead people the Leviim are being substituted for the idolatrous firstborn were disqualified because of the golden calf and now they're categorized as dead people so because of the um, because they're taking their place they have to be shaven just like a leper it's very interesting to think of to realize this this connection here so this sacrifice the sin offering was being made because of as an atonement for the firstborn the Levites are making the sin offering for themselves yes but also for the firstborn they are standing as substitutes and now they're making the sacrifice for the firstborn to ask for their atonement for the idolatry so then the next thing that happened after all of this happened was that Aaron waved them so they, he waved them up and down and back and forth so all to all the directions he's waving them he's offering them up waving them now like I said he had to be extremely strong because he had to lift 22,000 Levim in one day had to pick them up and wave them each one 22,000 now we're going to finish that one part Hashem spoke to Moshe saying this shall apply to the Levites from 25 years of age and up he shall join the legion of the service of the tent of the meeting from 50 years age he shall withdraw from the legion of work and no longer work he shall minister with his brethren in the tent of the meeting to safeguard the charge but work shall he not perform so shall you do to the Levites concerning their charge so the the Levites would come to become apprentices at the sanctuary at the time at the age of 25 years and they would apprentice and they would study for five years then when they were 30 years old they could enter into the service of the sanctuary now when they were 50 years old they would retire from the heavy work of carrying but they could still sing in the choir they could still do lighter tasks like helping to load the wagons or whatever they wanted to do they weren't required they didn't have to do these things but they could 
and they could sing in the choir as long as their voices were still um, weren't cracking with age they still sounded youthful they could still sing in the choir so there were things that they could still do after they were past the age of 50 but they didn't they weren't required to do it at that time okay now we're at verse at chapter sorry chapter 9 this is a very interesting a very interesting part of the parsha about Passover Hashem spoke to Moshe in the wilderness of Sinai in the second year of their exodus from the land of Egypt in the first month saying the children of Israel shall make a Passover or Pesach offering in its appointed time on the fourteenth day of this month in the afternoon shall you make it in its appointed time according to all its decrees and laws shall you make it they made the Pesach offering in the first month on the fourteenth day of the month in the afternoon in the wilderness of Sinai according to everything that Hashem had commanded Moshe so did the so the children of Israel did now they did not always present a Passover sacrifice in the desert because they were not they were not able to circumcise their children when they were wandering in the desert because they didn't ever know when the cloud would go up and they would have to move so because it could be dangerous for their children they did not always they did not as a rule circumcise their children and because their children were not circumcised during the time when they were wandering in the wilderness they did not keep Passover they did not do the Pesach uh, service the Pesach sacrifice the Levites did and the Levites did perform the sacrifice for Pesach all the time but the rest of the people did not and so we see that in the beginning in the first year they're making a Passover sacrifice and then when they cross the Jordan or they um, they circumcise all of their children everyone is uh, enters the Brit Milah and then there is Passover after they cross the Jordan but here they did not have the um, Hashem is telling the people to do a Pesach sacrifice in this first year uh, there were men who had been contaminated by a human corpse and could not make a Pesach sacrifice on that day they approached Moshe and Aaron on that day those men said to him we are contaminated through a human corpse why should we be diminished by not offering Hashem's offering in its appointed time among the children of Israel Moshe said to them stand and I will hear what Hashem will command you Hashem spoke to Moshe saying speak to the children of Israel saying 
If any man will become contaminated through a human corpse or in a distant road, whether you or your generations, he shall make the Pesach offering for Hashem in the second month, on the fourteenth day, in the afternoon, shall they make it. With matzot and bitter herbs shall they eat it. They shall not leave over from it until morning, nor shall they break a bone of it. Like all the decrees of the Pesach offering, shall they make it. But a man who was pure and was not on the road and had refrained from making the Pesach offering, that soul shall be cut off from his people. For he had not offered Hashem's offering in its appointed time. That man will bear his sin. When a convert shall dwell with you, and he shall make a Pesach offering to Hashem according to the decree of the Pesach offering its law, so shall he do. One decree shall be for you, for the proselyte and the native of the land. Now, we read this about what we call Pesach Sheni. Now, this is a term, also termed Pesach Katan, or the minor Pesach. And this was to make up for the a time when people had for some reason been contaminated and not able to make the first Pesach in the month of Nisan. So the next month is Er, and Hashem said that they could bring the offering in the month of Er. But let's look at who these people were. Why were they, why had they been contaminated by exposure to the dead? I mean, who in the world could have died during this time? Now, it's interesting to note here, just a second while I find it. Now, it says, when it says a human corpse, in Hebrew, it uses the word Adam. Now, this doesn't mean it's just somebody, just anybody. This was a special person that they had been contaminated by exposure to the body or, you know, the body of a person who was a notable person. So they were considered, they were considered very righteous men who came to Moshe and said, we are not able to make the Passover sacrifice because we're, we've been contaminated, but we don't want to be left out. What can we do? And so Hashem was honoring them by giving them an alternative time when they could do this. And who are these people? Now, there are two views. One view is that they had become contaminated with the bodies of Nadav and Avihu when they dragged them out of the Mishkan. Remember when they died, when they offered up a strange fire? That's one opinion. And even though they had offered up a strange fire, they would be considered Adam. They would be considered very notable because they were, they were, it's, it's an interesting thing that they were killed because they had offered a strange fire, but yet it's not considered like idolatry. It was, it was a zeal that they didn't do everything exactly right and it caused them to die. 
but they had a zeal and so Hashem's still honoring them and in fact we even know this from Midrash that when Pinchas came and he was going to kill Zimri and Cosby for the for the name of Hashem that were told in Midrash that the souls of Nadav and Avihu went into him to give him extra strength so from that we realize that they were even though they were punished and they died because of offering a strange fire it's kind of, a, of an interesting status that they had that they were still considered very high righteous people and so it's not something simple that we can really get our minds around and here with this opinion that it was their bodies that was the contamination of these men that they would even be considered Adam that they're still considered righteous notable people and there is a second opinion and the other opinion is that they had been contaminated with exposure to the dead because they were the bearers of Yosef's coffin you remember how the Yosef had, had um, required of his brothers a promise that they would take his bones out of Egypt and bury him in Eretz Israel and so this would also be Adam a notable person a righteous man would be Yosef before that because they were con- they were considered as doing something very holy and very very um, praiseworthy by carrying his coffin Hashem said they're going to be given another opportunity to bring a Pesach sacrifice and for for their merit on the merit of these people who came to Moshe and said hey we don't want to be left out Pesach Shemi in the month of Yar was instituted I mean that's a very special thing to think about that because of this mitzvah of caring for um, accompanying the, the dead and that's what they that's why they were contaminated because they were doing a mitzvah it is considered a, a very high thing to accompany the dead and so for that they were given the honor of um, having Pesach Sheni instituted for all the people of Israel now when a person observes Pesach Sheni of course he has to have a valid reason that he not observe Pesach in the month of Nisan it can't just be because he was lazy he has to have a real reason like these men had a real reason now when he observes Pesach Sheni he has to observe all the laws of Pesach he observes the laws to make the sacrifice he slaughters it in the afternoon of the 14th of the month of Iyar this is the month right after the month of Pesach and he eats it at night together with matzah and maror just like at a seder when we do it however on the minor Pesach he does not have to remove chametz the leavening all of the leavening 
like when we prepare for Pesach in the month of Nisan we clean our houses of all comments all leavening has to go and we do not own any leavening for Pesach Sheni this is not necessary and he does not have to abstain from the performance of labor it's not a, like a regular holiday like Pesach where you have to it, it's considered like a Shabbat where you abstain from labor but on Pesach Sheni it's, he doesn't have to now the laws of Pesach Sheni only apply to an individual not to a whole community if a whole community has a problem they still have to sacrifice on the 14th of Nisan now where do we have a story where they weren't ready on the 14th of Nisan they weren't ready and so it was put off and this was in the story of um, when King Hezekiah and this was a very praiseworthy thing that he did that he brought from the people from all over from the northern tribes he was trying to gather them back come to Jerusalem for Pesach and they had not observed Pesach in many years but they weren't ready and so it's very interesting to go back and read that and and we might go back to that in a minute well just a second let's just do that right now it's very interesting to look at that because um they weren't ready and then there was a really beautiful prayer that Hezekiah Hezekiahu in Hebrew prayed for all the people there's a lot about Hezekiahu in the book of 2nd Kings It's very interesting to note that he is the the one who is prophesied by Isaiah the prophet when he said, "A sign shall be given; a child will be, a young woman will bear a son." This was Hezekiahu. So he sent messengers to the north to bring the people for Passover well just a second the thing is is the these stories of the kings are told in two places in uh, kings and in chronicles
So in the book of Chronicles, Second Chronicles, if you want to turn there, in the 29th chapter, we read about, no, I'm sorry, the 30th chapter. Um, we read about the Passover offering. Hezekiah then sent word to all of Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh to come to the temple of Hashem in Jerusalem to perform Pesach offering to Hashem, God of Israel. Now remember, the, uh, many, most of the people of the northern tribes had been carried off. Now it's not Second Kings, it's Second Chronicles, right. Um, I made a mistake. I was there's the story in Second Kings, but all but the story of Pesach is in Chronicles. For the king and his officers and all the congregation had conferred and decided to perform the Pesach offering in the second month. Now you notice this? Now in the um in the Halakha where we're reading about Pesach Sheni it's only for individuals. It is not for an entire community. But here we do have a, a situation where the king and his counselors decided that they were going to have Pesach for everybody in the month of Yar. For they had not been able to perform it at its proper time. For the Kohanim had not yet sanctified themselves in sufficient numbers and the people had not been gathered to Jerusalem by then. The matter was deemed proper by the king and all the congregation. So there's a loophole here where the the Gadolim, the the wise men of the generation, can make an exception. But as a rule, this is just this is not done by a community. They established the matter to make an announcement throughout all of Israel from Beersheba to Dan to come and perform the Pesach offering unto Hashem God of Israel in Jerusalem because for a long time they had not done in accordance with what was written so there had been many many years where no Pesach offering had been made and the people of the northern tribes had been totally cut off from any kind of rituals of the temple because um, the kings of the north had decided they weren't going to um, they weren't going to even allow the people to go to Jerusalem and by this time many of them have already been taken captive into Assyria by the Assyrians the runners went throughout all of Israel and Judah with letters from the hand of the king and his leaders and by order of the king saying Return to Hashem, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you that still remains from the hands of the kings of Assyria. So here is the remnant of the people who are left behind, and he's saying, Come to Jerusalem and celebrate Pesach. Do not be like your fathers and brothers who betrayed Hashem, the God of their forefathers, so that he bade them into a desolation, as you see, do not stiffen your necks now as your fathers did. Reach out to Hashem and come to his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever. 
and worship Hashem, your God, so that his burning wrath may turn away from you. They had suffered exile because of the severe idolatry in the north from all of the tribes of the north. Severe idolatry. This is, remember a few weeks ago, uh, well, on uh, right after um, Shavuot, we did the book of Yonah. This was what Yonah was cringing that the people were going to be taken into exile by the Assyrians. And here, in the day of Hezgiahu, it's already happened. For when you return to Hashem, your brothers and sons will be regarded with mercy by their captors and will be allowed to return to this land. For Hashem your God is gracious and merciful and he will not turn his face away from you if you will return to him. So in a nutshell, all of these, all of the, the messengers went out. Some of them were ridiculed by the people and but others others of the people came and they they celebrated Pesach uh, there, was, there is a prayer here that is just a really beautiful prayer that I wanted to read before I finish with this it was just um, a wonderful thing that Okay, here it is. Um, Hezgiahu realized that things weren't exactly the way they should be. He understood that. And so, I mean, these people had not celebrated Pesach in generations. Many, many years they hadn't done it. And so, Hezgiahu himself prayed for them. And And this is this is found in the starting with the 18th verse it's really a beautiful thing it says for many of the people many from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun had not purified themselves and they ate of the Pesach offering not in accordance with what was written so they didn't understand they were, they were ignorant of this so Hezgiah who prayed for them may the benevolent Hashem grant atonement for whoever sets his heart to seek out God Hashem the God of his forefathers though without the purity required for the for the sacred and then the next verse in verse 20 says Hashem listened to Hezkiahu and absolved the people so you have a combination here of the offer went out the people didn't really understand how things were supposed to be done because it had been too many generations. They were ignorant of how things were supposed to be done. And Hashem understood that and the king understood that. So the king prayed a prayer that was absolutely, I believe, put into his heart by heaven. And the very next verse says, Hashem listened to Hezekiah and absolved the people. So here was an example how everything wasn't done exactly the way it was according to the Torah laws but there was understanding of that in the court of heaven but as a rule 
a community is not supposed to put off Pesach. Now, there was there was an understanding of that in the court of heaven, like I uh, like I said, because of the situation, the way the situation had been, that these people had been without understanding anything about the rituals of the temple for generations. They were totally ignorant of everything. But on and and it's interesting when you think about that the sages say that it was because of the merit of these men, one of the opinions is that they were contaminated by exposure to the dead carrying who? Yosef. The coffin of Yosef. And so that the Pesach Sheni was instituted for that. And then in the days of Hezkiahu, who is it that he's bringing here and he didn't have time to get them there in time, so he's bringing them there and he's utilizing that loophole of Pesach Sheni is the children of Yosef. It's just really beautiful when you see how the Torah just weaves together and you see this this tapestry now even right here in the desert Hashem knew that one day hundreds of years in the future the children of Yosef were going to need this loophole are there any questions before we go on I've been talking 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 didn't take a break for that does anybody have anything to add before we go on No, Edward, you're not here at the end. You're here in the middle. <laughs> How old was Aaron? Well, Aaron was like three years older than Moshe. Moshe was 80 years old when they came out of Egypt. And this is, in, this is like a year later. So we just finished about Pesach Sheni. On the day the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle. On the day the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle that was a tent for the testimony, and in the evening there would be upon the tabernacle like a fiery appearance until morning. So it would appear always be a cloud would cover it and an appearance of fire at night. And whenever the cloud was lifted from atop the tent afterwards, the children of Israel would journey, and in the place where the cloud would rest, there the children of Israel would encamp. According to the word of Hashem will the children of Israel journey, and according to the word of Hashem would they encamp. All the days that the cloud would rest upon the tabernacle, they would encamp. 
When the cloud lingered upon the tabernacle many days, the children of Israel would maintain the charge of Hashem and would not journey. Sometimes the cloud would be upon the tabernacle for a number of days. According to the word of Hashem would they encamp, and according to the word of Hashem would they journey. And sometimes the cloud would remain from evening until morning, and the cloud would be lifted in the morning, and they would journey, or for a day and a night, and the cloud would be lifted, and they would journey, or for two days, or a month, or a year. When the cloud would linger over the tabernacle, resting upon it, the children of Israel would encamp and would not journey. But when it was lifted, they would journey. According to the word of Hashem, they would encamp, and according to the word of Hashem, they would journey. The charge of Hashem would they safeguard, according to the word of Hashem, through Moshe. So this was the signal was when they would go when the um, when the cloud would rise up would become a pillar and would start to move then the people would know it was time to go and when it would settle over the tabernacle then they would know this was the time that they were supposed to stay Okay, so now we are to um, chapter 10. Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, Make for yourself two silver trumpets. Make them hammered out and they shall be yours for summoning of the assembly and to cause the camps to journey. When they sound a long blast with them, the entire assembly shall assemble to you to the entrance of the tent of the meeting. If they sound a long blast with one, the leaders shall assemble to you the heads of Israel's thousands. When you sound short blasts, the camps resting to the east shall journey. When you sound short blasts a second time, the camps resting to the south shall journey. Short blasts they shall sound for their journeys. When you gather together the congregation, you shall sound a long blast, but not a short blast. The sons of Aaron, the Kohanim, shall sound the trumpets, and it shall be for you an eternal decree for the generations. When you wage, go to wage war in your land against the, an enemy who oppresses you, you shall sound short blasts of the trumpets, and you shall be recalled before Hashem, your God, and you shall be saved from your foes. So this is basically uh, talking about how the, um, the shofar is sounded even to today. But these two silver trumpets were Moshe's trumpets. They were only during the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. And they were not to be used for anybody else. It was only Moshe Rabbeinu. And so they would um, they would sound these blasts in the Beit HaMikdash as well. Like I said, this was how we how the using the shofar was instituted. Every day, there would be three blasts in the morning to signal the gates were open. Nine during the daily tamid offering in the morning. Nine during the daily tamid offering. Uh, this is the daily, always. Tamid means 
um, regular or always offering of the afternoon. Another nine if there was a Musaf service, which is the extra sacrifice. And on every Arab Shabbat on Friday, three sounds were blown in the afternoon to remind people that it was time to stop working. So in Eretz Israel now, in many places, you will have right before right before uh, Shabbat begins, you will have some kind of a siren or an alarm to to warn everybody: get ready, stop working, get ready to light the candles. Shabbat is coming, and it comes from this. It comes from this time where Hashem Himself instituted the use of the shofar to or the trumpet and um, to add the warning and another thing that we're when we hear the shofar when we hear the shofar like uh, at the temples for the sacrifices and we hear the shofar on the holidays like the Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur it calls us to repentance calls us to it, it's an alarm it alerts us alerts us to repentance makes us um, it gives us the idea that we have to pay attention so here we're going to read a little bit more about it on the day of your gladness and on your festivals and on your new moons you shall sound the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over your feast peace offerings they shall be a remembrance for you before your God I am Hashem your God it was in the second year, in the second month, on the twentieth of the month, the cloud was lifted from upon the tabernacle of the testimony. The children of Israel journeyed on their journeys from the wilderness of Sinai. The cloud rested in the wilderness of Paran. They journeyed for the first time at the bidding of Hashem through Moshe. The banner of the camp of the children of Judah journeyed first according to their legions. And over its legion was Nachshon, son of Aminadav. Over the tribe, the legion of the tribe of the children of Issachar was Natanel, son of Zuar. And over the legion of the tribe of Zebulun was Eliav, son of Helon. The tabernacle was taken down, then journeyed the sons of Gershon and the sons of Marari, the bearers of the tabernacle. Remember, the sons of Gershon carried the skins and the tents and the and the veils and the sons of Merari carried the poles and the posts and the stakes and all of those um, hard things the planks then journeyed the banner of the camp of Ruvain according to their legion and over its legion was Elitzur son of Shedeur over the legion of the tribe of Shimon was Shalumiel, uh, son of Zuri Shaddai, and over the tribe of the children of God was Eliasaph, son of Deul. Then journeyed the Kohathites, bearers of the sanctuary, and they would erect the tabernacle before their arrival. Then journeyed the banner of the camp of Ephraim, according to their legions, and over its legion was Elishama, son of Amihud. Over the legion of the children of, of Manasseh was Gamliel, son of Pedetzur, and over the legion of the tribe of the children of Binyamin was Avidan, son of Gidoni.
Then journeyed the banner of the camp of the children of Dan, rear guard of all the camps according to their legions, and over its legion was Ahiezer, son of Amishadai. Over the legion of the tribe of the children of Asher was Hagiel, son of Ahran. Over the legion of the tribe of the children of Naphtali was Ahira, son of Anan. And over the journeys of the children of Israel, according to their legion, they journeyed. So this was the breaking of the camp and how they would march forward in order. Now we're to verse 29. I'm trying to kind of hurry up because I want us to finish the whole Parsha. It's really important, all of the different parts of this Parsha. Moshe said to Hobab, son of Ruel. Now Hobab was who? Does anybody know who this is? This is his father-in-law, Yitro, the Midianite, the father-in-law of Moshe. We are journeying to a place of which Hashem said, I shall give it to you. Go with us and we shall treat you well. For Hashem has spoken of good for you, for Israel. He said to him, I shall not go, only to my land and my family shall I go. He said, Please do not forsake us inasmuch as you know our encampments in the wilderness and you have been as eyes for us and it shall be that if you will come with us then with goodness with which Hashem will benefit us we will do good to you so there, we're not really told here if Yitro actually went back to his people or if he stayed with Israel now the reason that he said he wanted to go back to Midian was that he wanted to teach his family about the Torah. Moshe didn't want him to leave because he was afraid that if he did leave that people might think that he left because he wasn't treated well. People might then think why should we convert to be part of Israel because they don't look Yitro left. He wasn't treated well. And so that was one of his concerns, but also he had a great respect for Yitro's wisdom. He had a great respect for him. So he was wanting him to go with them. And when you see that he says, you shall be our eyes, the eyes are symbolic of wisdom. He had a great, um, like I said, he had a great respect for Yitro's wisdom. Drew's are from Yitro, so he must have taken. Well, the thing is, is even though, even if he did leave, we're told that his sons stayed. His, his children stayed, and they were given the, the land of Jericho, of Jericho. Well, it's very interesting about his sons, that they became, uh, that they were very humble people. And they became some very illustrious people in Klal Israel. They lived in a very, very fertile part of Eretz Israel. And, um, but instead of spending their time farming, they wanted to devote themselves to Torah study. 
they were asking, where can we find a Torah teacher who can instruct us? And this is from the Midrash here. And they were told there is a great Talmud Hacham by the name of Ya'avet, which is another name for Atniel bin Kanaz, who was one of the first judges. But he lived in the desert where there was nothing growing and where if they went there they would live in poverty. But disregarding their material loss, these sons of Yitro, these descendants of Yitro, went to the desert and they found Yahweh teaching in this big, big Beit Midrash. And there was a lot of, there were a lot of students including Kohenim, Leviim, and Jews from noble families. So Yitro's descendants were thinking, well, we're only Gerim, we're only converts, so how can we sit in this company of these great noble people? So they sit, sat out at the entrance. They sat near the gate, and they just listened. But eventually, we're told, they became outstanding Torah scholars and from their descendants some of their descendants became very famous heads of the Sanhedrin who taught all of Kalal Israel. So you see that the, the virtue, the wisdom of Yitro passed down to his descendants and they ascended to be very illustrious people in Kalal Israel. Now there were two things. There are two. There were two sins that the people of Israel committed, and that are reported in this parsha. Now the one thing is the next thing that we're going to um, talk about. Mm. In verse 33, it's very, very brief. It says, They journeyed from the mountain of Hashem a three-day distance, and the Ark of the Covenant of Hashem journeyed before them a three-day distance to search out for them a resting place. The cloud of Hashem was over them and by day when they journeyed from the camp. Now, it doesn't sound like there was any kind of a sin there, but what the sages say is that the people were they were kind of tired. It's like children being let out of school, and so they were, they were wanting to rush away from Sinai. And so this was it's very, very subtle. Now, right after that comes a little section that is two verses, and it's a very important section of the Torah. And if you were to have a Torah that has, if you have a Tanakh that has Hebrew. Do you have a Torah, a Tanakh that has Hebrew? Let me see if it has it here. No, does not. Wait. Yes, wait. You do have it. You see here, right here? Oh. Um, I don't have the pointer. 
You see in verse, at the end of verse 34 here, you see this? Um, it looks like a bracket. Verse At the end of verse 34, and then at the end of verse 36, you see what looks like brackets. Do you see that? On the browser. You should be able to see it. I can't point because I... Okay, thank you. That was... Thank you, Elandra. So do you see this bracket and this bracket? Everybody see it? Okay, good. Now this is actually an inverted noon. This is the letter noon and it's inverted. And this indicates that this section from verse 35 to verse 36 through verse 36 is like bracketed. It's something that is set apart and it's different from the rest of the text. So first we're going to just read it in English. When the journey, when the, oh, I'm sorry, when the ark would journey, Moshe said, Arise, Hashem, and let your foes be scattered. Let those who hate you flee from before you. And when it rested, he would say, Reside tranquilly, O Hashem, among the myriad thousands of Israel. It's two verses, 35 and 36. And our sages tell us that these two verses constitute a whole book. That there are actually seven books of the Torah. That there is Breshit, there's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then the first part of the book of Numbers. Okay? That would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the first part of the book of Numbers. That's four. Then this section of these two verses. That's five. And then the rest of the book of Numbers. Six. And then the book of Deuteronomy, which is seven. So there are seven books because the book of Numbers is divided. So there are seven books of the Torah. So it says that these are the seven pillars of wisdom. So this is the prayer of Moshe. And it's set apart. And one of the reasons that it sets and that it's set apart, you see the first part here and before it we have this about the people leaving Sinai. The people were leaving Sinai and they were like school kids happy to get out of school and then right after this two verses we have the sin of the complainers wanting the meat wanting meat and so it's the the quail so this comes in between it divides that so those two things that are considered sin are separated by this prayer of Moshe that's one thing And like I said, it's the seven pillars of um, wisdom. And they're divided from the rest of the text by a noon. The numerical value of the letter noon is 50. And if you count from this Parsha and the Ohel Moed, the tent of the tabernacle, shall travel in the midst of the Leviim, where and then you start here 
where the um where this verse belongs, the bin soa. It's the way it starts in Hebrew. You find fifty parshaot or fifty sections marked in the Sefer Torah with open spaces. That's one thing. And then the letter noon also symbolizes that if not for B'nai Israel's sins, they would have immediately crossed the Jordan. And the width of the Jordan is 50 amot. So both of the letters are inverted to symbolize that by sinning, and it's inverted facing those sins, the Jews turn their backs on the Shekhinah. So they were held back from entering Herod's Israel. It's very interesting how everything in the Torah has significance. Even a letter like this noon has meaning. Just one letter has significance. It has great meaning. Now, another way that we prove that these two verses constitute a whole book is that it contains the same number of words as the first and last verses of the Torah. The last verse, verse 26, I mean uh, 36, has seven words, just like the first verse of the Torah. And the first verse verse 35 has 12 words corresponding to the last 12 words of the Torah so the Parsha ends and the Parsha also ends with the word Israel you see how this these two verses end the last word is Israel the same as the last verse of the Torah the whole Torah So why does it, but still, why does such a small part, Parsha, two verses, merit to be called a whole book? Tiferet Zion explains that although the Parsha of Vihiei bin Soa is comprised of only two verses, it includes the entire range of divine wisdom, like a whole book of the Torah. It begins and ends with the letter Nun, whose numerical value is 50, indicating that it includes all 50 gates of divine wisdom. Even though it is beyond our comprehension, the Nuns are inverted to symbolize that we don't understand it. And that's another reason for the inversion of of the letters. So it's a very interesting thing when you look at it like this. Now we're going to go on to the sin of the meat. Because I, like I said, I wanted to get finished, but I hope we can. Does everybody have the patience to stay a little bit longer if we don't? The people took to seeking complaints. It was an, it was evil in the ears of Hashem. And Hashem heard and his wrath flared 
and a fire of Hashem burned against them and it consumed at the edge of the camp the people cried out to Moshe Moshe prayed to Hashem and the fire died down and he named that place Tabera or conflagration for a fire of Hashem had burned against them the rabble that was among them and this is in Hebrew called Erev Rav cultivated a craving and the children of Israel also wept once more and said who will feed us meat we remember the fish we ate in Egypt free of charge the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions and garlic but now our life is parched and there is nothing we have nothing to anticipate but this manna now the manna was like coriander seed and its color was like the color of bedolach the people would stroll and gather it and grind it in a mill or pound it in a mortar and cook it in a pot or make it into cakes and it tasted like the taste of dough kneaded with oil when the dew descended upon the camp at night the manna would descend upon it Moshe heard the people weeping in their family groups each one at the entrance of its tent and the wrath of Hashem flared greatly in the eyes of Moshe it was bad when they prayed for I mean said they were thirsty they needed water or they were hungry when they first came out into the desert before the manna started falling it was understandable because they didn't have anything that was understandable but now they're being picky and they, they're, they're saying this man this manna is just hateful in our eyes we're, we're sick of it and what's really bad about this is this was spiritual food it went straight into their system there was no waste at all and on top of that it, it made the people where they were able to comprehend spiritual ideas on a higher level because they were eating this food from heaven but they were physical beings and they were craving physical, physical things this was the whole idea of what the exactly angel food exactly but this was the whole idea of their craving meat they wanted something to ground them to this world they wanted something substantial of this world and it was the people who were not on such a high level who began that they were the grumblers they they were having a hard time with the idea of being on this high spiritual level and they wanted something of this world and it's it's really something that we can kind of relate to we all, we've all been there if we will admit it we've all been there the idea of always being in the spiritual realm, spiritual and having our minds there is appealing but it's not easy to maintain we've all been to that place and we've all said no I need to have a state I need to watch a movie I need to do something of this world we've all done it and so we can't be too hard on these people because they were experiencing something that was extremely intense and we can't even relate to where they were it's like nothing we've ever experienced so we can't even relate to where they were that's why when people start to criticize the, the people of Israel who were grumbling and they were punished for it 
it's like mm, I would be a little bit timid to criticize them too much because they were on a much much higher level than we were and I don't know if we would have done any better at all Moshe said to Hashem why have you done evil to your servant why have they not found favor in your eyes that you place the burden of this entire people upon me did I conceive this entire people or did I give birth to it that you say to me carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a suckling to the land that you swore to its fathers where shall I get meat to give this entire people when they weep to me saying give us meat that we may eat I alone cannot carry this entire nation for it's too heavy for me and if this is how you deal with me then kill me now if I have found favor in your eyes let me not see my, my evil and so he, this is not Moshe griping either we have to understand where he's coming from here he feels deeply the suffering of his people and it, it bothers him it really bothers him right and so here is where um, Hashem directs Moshe to institute the Sanhedrin Hashem said to Moshe gather me 70 men from the elders of Israel whom you know to be the elders of the people and its officers take them to the tent of meeting and have them stand there with you I will descend and speak with you there and I will increase some of the spirit that is on you and place it on them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you you shall not bear it alone now this is the same this is very similar to what uh, Yitro had advised Moshe so he is establishing a Sanhedrin of, of, 70, of 70 men to help him and now the spirit of Hashem is descending I mean it's the spirit that he had given to Moshe is also going to be on these people so we kind of skipping around a little bit back and forth between this asking for meat and now we have a Sanhedrin established so verse 18 to the people you shall say prepare yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat for you have wept in the ears of Hashem saying who will feed us meat for it was better for us in Egypt see here is their sin they're saying it was better for us in Egypt if they had just said we would like to have meat it might not have been so bad but they said it was better for us in Egypt it's very dangerous when we despise a miracle a gift from Hashem it's very dangerous so Hashem will give you meat and you will eat not for one day you shall eat nor two days nor five days nor 10 days nor 20 days until an entire month of days until it comes out of your nose and becomes nauseating to you because you have rejected Hashem who is in your midst and you have wept before him saying 
Why did we leave Egypt? So this was really their sin. It wasn't what they wanted to eat. It was because they were saying, Why did we leave Egypt? And this is the era of Rab. This is the, the riffraff among the people who are stirring up this trouble. It's not everybody. It's just the riffraff, the ones who are noisy. And you see this all the time. You'll always see some small group that's very, very noisy. And they will start stirring up trouble. And it makes it sound like everybody is saying this. But everybody isn't saying this. It's just certain unhappy people. And these kind of people will always be unhappy, no matter what you do. Moshe said, 600,000 foot soldiers are the people in whose midst I am, yet you say, I shall give them meat, and they shall eat for a month of days? Can sheep and cattle be slaughtered for them and suffice for them? Or if all the fish of the sea will be gathered for them, will it suffice for them? Hashem said to Moshe, Is the hand of Hashem limited? Now you will see whether my word shall come to pass or not. So, it's like, like I said, here we go back and forth. We had the people complaining, then we had the Sanhedrin established, and then Hashem is saying to Moshe, now I'm going to give these people meat. He's getting Moshe ready to get the people ready. And then we skip to another scene. Verse 24 Moshe left and spoke the words of Hashem to the people and gathered 70 men from among the elders of the people and had them stand around the tent. Hashem descended in a cloud and spoke to him and he increased some of the spirit that was upon him and gave it to the 70 men. And the elders, when the spirit rested upon them and they prophesied, but did not do so again. So one time in this inauguration period they prophesied however verse 26 two men remained behind in the camp the name of one was Eldad and the name of the second Medad the spirit rested upon them and they had been among the recorded ones they had not gone out to the tent and they prophesied in the camp the youth ran and told Moshe and he said Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp Joshua, son of Nun, servant of Moshe, since his youth, spoke up and said, My lord, Moshe, incarcerate them. So he's saying, Stop them from doing this. Moshe said to him, Are you being zealous for my sake? Would that the entire people of Hashem be prophets, if Hashem would but place his spirit upon them? Very interesting. All of, the, all of the people who were established at the, as the Sanhedrin at this inauguration prophesied once at the inauguration. But here are these two guys, Eldad and Medad. They were, they were great people too, but they were extremely humble. And they started prophesying in the camp. So who are these two guys? they started prophesying in the camp. And one opinion is, what, what were they saying? One opinion was that they were saying that Moshe was going to die. They were prophesying about the death of Moshe and that Joshua was going to take over as the lead, next leader 
and you notice it's Joshua himself who is, who is saying make them stop make them stop so it's, it adds this little bit of, of uh, dimension when you understand that part and then another thing that they were doing another opinion is that they were also talking about what was coming in the end of days and, and we see this how Yaakov when he was saying to his sons come and I will tell you what the end will be and then he just went blank many times we have that where there will be a, um, a prophet who will start to say what's coming and then they either go blank or you just you know there's nothing recorded of what they said well it's not recorded what Eldad and Medad said but the sages indicate too that they had received um, by Ruach HaKodesh by the Spirit of Hashem they foresaw even the era of distant future to the era of Gog and Magog the war of Gog and Magog now all of the rest of the elders this is an interesting thing to note all of the rest of the elders who were the elders of the Sanhedrin did not cross the Jordan we know that all men over 20 years old who left Egypt died in the wilderness but except for Joshua and Caleb and the Levites and we're told also Eldad and Medad survived and they went into the land of Israel that they even survived Joshua they lived longer than he did so it's very significant very significant that um, what they these two men and um, and more to the point of what was going on at the time the sages say that Eldad and Medad also were prophesying the danger of the quail that were going to come into the camp what was going to eventually happen to the people and so this was something else that they had to have kind of stayed they were prophesying all these different things in the in the near future and in the distant future that were coming so Yahshua was very zealous for uh, Moshe's sake and he wanted them to be quiet and Moshe said no I wish all of the people of Israel were on this level to to receive Ruach HaKodesh so verse 30 Moshe was brought into the camp he and the elders of Israel a wind went forth from Hashem and blew quail from the sea and spread them over the camp a day's journey this way and a day's journey that way all around the camp and two cubits above the face of the earth the people rose up all day and all night and all the next day and gathered up the quail the one with the least gathered ten homers and they spread them out all around the camp the meat was still between their teeth not yet chewed when, he, when the wrath of Hashem flared against the people and Hashem struck a very mighty blow against the people he named the place Kirbot Hat 
ta'ava. Now this means the graves of lust. Because there they buried the people who had been craving from Kirbot um, ha'ta'ava, the people journeyed to Hatzorot and they remained in Hatzorot. So, they craved this meat they craved it like I was saying and the worst of them perished while, the, while it was still in his mouth before they had time to even finish eating it and they were called the place was called the graves of lusters because they had lusted for this meat and it's, it's just it's another one of those times where it was one of the uh, trials Of course, you're welcome, Sarah. <clears throat> I wanted to hurry up and get to the the rest of the parsha, um, and we have like 14 minutes. Okay, we'll have time. Chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moshe regarding the Cushite woman he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. They said, Was it only to Moshe that Hashem spoke? Did he not speak to us as well? And Hashem heard. Now the man Moshe was exceedingly humble, more than any person on the face of the earth. Hashem was suddenly, said suddenly to Moshe, to Aaron, to Miriam, You three, go out to the tent of meeting. And the three of them went out. Hashem descended in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent of and he summoned Aaron and Miriam. The two of them went out. He said, Hear now my words. If there be prophets among you, in a vision shall I, Hashem, make myself known to him? In a dream shall I speak to him? Not so is my servant Moshe. In my entire house he is the trusted one. Mouth to mouth do I speak to him, in clear vision and not in riddles. In the image of Hashem does he gaze. Why did you not fear to speak against my servant Moshe? The wrath of Hashem flared up against them and he left. The cloud had departed from atop the tent and behold, Miriam was afflicted with Sara'at like snow. Aaron turned to Miriam and behold, she was afflicted with Sara'at. This is leprosy in English. It's the, it's the symbolist translation it's the most accepted translation but it's actually something different Aaron said to Moshe I beg you my lord do not cast a sin upon us for we have been foolish and we have sinned let her not be like a corpse like one who leaves his mother's womb with half his flesh being consumed Moshe cried out to Hashem saying please God heal her now Hashem said to Moshe were her father to spit in her face, would she not be humiliated for seven days? Let her be quarantined outside the camp for seven days, and then she might may be brought in. So Miriam was quarantined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not journey until Miriam was brought in. Then the people journeyed from Hazarot, and they encamped in the wilderness of Paran. It's a very interesting story, this. What was going on here? For one thing, 
Miriam and Aaron could not understand how Moshe was different from them. They thought he's their little brother. And they thought he was basically the same as they were. They all received prophecy. And so what is the big deal about Moshe that is different? Now, this all started, This the Midrash says, this all began when the 70 of the Sanhedrin were being inaugurated. And so Miriam said to Zipporah, isn't this a wonderful thing? Shouldn't the wives of these men be very, very proud? Just a second. And Zipporah's answer was, well, maybe, but maybe they 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 will lose their husbands. Maybe they will their husbands will leave them now because they'll be so dedicated to God. And what she didn't understand, what Zipporah herself didn't understand, was once Moshe had gone up the mountain and received the Torah, he was not like a regular human being anymore. He had to wear a veil over his face because he glowed. His soul was the dominant part of his being over his flesh. He had become what what was the closest any person has ever become to Adam. The way Adam was when he was created. Where he was this physical being, yes, but he was predominantly soul. His soul dominated his physicality and so he wasn't like a regular normal person and another thing was that when Hashem would speak to Aaron and Miriam he would give them a warning that he was going to speak to them he was going to call them to prophecy and so they would have time to prepare and part of that preparation was they had to separate from their spouses for a period of time three days it's just like when the people were receiving the Torah. Hashem said, for three days, no man should go near a woman. They had to be separate. Well, in Moshe's case, he was not ever given that period of time. He did not ever know when Hashem was going to speak to him. He could speak to him any time. And so he had to stay constantly ready to receive prophecy. He was like no other prophet. He had experienced Hashem in a way no one ever ever had and no one ever has since. Hashem says, I spoke to him mouth to mouth. No one, no one has ever had that experience but Moshe Rabbeinu. Well, this was only Moshe Rabbeinu. Only Alondra. And not everybody is called to this. And this is the point that that Miriam missed. She thought it was like, it was wrong that he separated from his wife. This was her criticism. Because celibacy was not accepted at all. The priest had to be married. The teachers had to be married. The judges had to be married. Everyone had to be married. This was the normal way of life. And here's Moshe living in a in a way that is celibate which was totally unheard of in the camp of Israel and so she was she was not really saying it in a way she wasn't even saying it behind his back she was saying it where he could hear her 
And she was saying it because she cared about him and she cared about Zipporah. But yet, it was still considered Lashon Hara. It was still considered evil because she was daring to criticize this man who was so close to Hashem. So what happened to her? And this is exactly one of the examples of how Sara'at or leprosy is connected to Lashon Hara. Miriam is an example. And it was particularly heartbreaking for this family because a leper has to go to the high priest or has to go to the priest to be clear, cl- declared pure. She couldn't because he can't declare a close member of his family pure. He can't be exposed to her. And so she would she was like dead. And this was what Aaron was saying. This was a this was a particular tragedy. So yes, Tomei. She was Tomei. But all of the people were going to wait for her. Hashem said she will be unclean for seven days. And no, Aaron cannot declare her pure. But he said, I myself will be her Kohen, and I'll declare her pure. Hashem himself was going to do this for her. Tahor, yes. He was going to do this for her. And why? Why would all of the people of Israel wait for seven days? Why would Hashem himself be her priest? Because she had waited by the Nile for Moshe Rabbeinu. When he was a baby in the, in the, in the ark, in the basket, she had waited. And so this is Mida Keneged Mida, measure for measure, that all the people of Israel would wait for her, that Hashem would be her priest. She had, with her mother, she was one of the midwives, and she was given that special blessing that she was going to be, have a house built. She would have this, uh, a great house built in Israel. And she's from the ha- from the family that become the priests. But there's something even more beautiful, more extraordinary about this whole thing. She was outside the camp for seven days. Now, Miriam had never been beautiful. She had been in the slavery when she was born. The slavery became harsh, and her name has this um, this idea of bitterness to it. She was named at that time, and her complexion was kind of greenish. She was she was uh, she was not a beautiful woman, and the suffering showed in her face. But. Kalev bin Afuna, Yafuna married her. He was 40 years younger than she was. And he married her because she had these great brothers, Moshe and Aaron. And for the sake of heaven, for the name, in the name of heaven, he married her. And when she was very, very sick, she was outside the camp. She was very, very sick, and afterwards she was still not really strong because it had it took its toll on her. Remember, she was older than Moshe, and so 
Moshe's 80 years old when they leave Egypt. You know, she's almost 90. So afterwards, she wasn't well. And Kalev nursed her back to health. He was nursed. He took care of her. He nursed her. And when she was feeling better, he was so happy. He was so joyous. And this is Midrash. That he wanted to have another wedding. So he had a chuppah. And he had another wedding with to marry her again. And Chazal say that under the chuppah there was a miracle. And Miriam was transformed. Her face was transformed. She was transformed, rejuvenated to look like she was 20 years old. Her face became like rose petals, dewy and soft. And she became like a, a woman of 20 years old. And she is one of three women that this is that this is said about. Her mother, Yochevet, the mother of Moshe, also when her husband remarried her, when the when the um, husbands had left their wives because of the, the decree of Pharaoh that he was going to kill the children, they separated from their wives. And this is another thing that Miriam is noted for, that she said to her father, the Pharaoh is killing the boys. But you, with your, your decision to separate from your wife, you're also seeing, making sure that there aren't girls born either. And so you're even worse than Pharaoh, because there will be no children born. And Miriam was only five years old at the time. She was a very precocious five-year-old. And so they went back, they took their wives back. And under the chuppah, Yohavit also experienced this regeneration so there was Miriam and her mother Yochavit who were also the midwives and they were also very wise women and the third one is is uh, Sarah Sarah Imenu who was rejuvenated when she was pregnant with Yitzhak and so there are three women that we have um, this recorded about so Miriam was rejuvenated and her face became youthful and blooming like a rose. And this is uh, how our Parsha ends. If we were to just end it with what is in the written Parsha, in the written Torah, we wouldn't have gotten this lovely addition to the story. And I like the way this ends here. It, it ends with a note of hope. It's the same as the way it begins with a note of hope about the the menorah being lit that light comes into the world just a second that light comes into the world in place of darkness and so we have this ending of the Parsha in the same way with the Midrash that, that Miriam after suffering the leprosy for speaking against Moshe Rabbeinu that then she has this gift of being not only healed, but then she's rejuvenated under the chuppah. So, I like that. I like that we have these these um, sparks of hope through the Torah, how Hashem intervenes in our life, and He lifts us up, and He forgives us completely, and He lifts us up. Does anybody have any comments or questions?
Well, thank you, Dale and Catherine. I'm glad that you were able to join us. And this is this is really one of my favorite um, parts about the um, that tells about Miriam like this. It's just really a beautiful. It is a beautiful story. And I'm glad you came too, Edward. I thank you for all of you for coming and joining us. And um, I hope that you will be back with us again next week. Next week is Parshat Shlach. And I hope that you will be back with us next week. And you can read ahead and you can see it's the same time. Yes, it's what, where are you located? Um, I'm located in Central Time and it's 7 o'clock Central Time. You're in California, so it would be 5 o'clock your time. And I'm glad you, oh. I think it's 5 o'clock. Yeah, it's 5 o'clock. Because you're two hours earlier than we are. So, 5 o'clock your time on Tuesday evening. And that was really great that Alondra came into the room and, and pulled up the the browser and the whiteboard that was really wonderful of her I'm I really have to give her a special thanks for that oh okay Edward well these classes as you know are being brought to you by Noahide Nations and you should go to the website. It's, it's a really worthwhile for you to check it out. And you can enroll in the classes that are going to be in um, our special room on Virtual Yeshiva. This is the, the link for Noahide Nations. And you can find enrollment in the classes in the, in the shop. And you should know that we have a special going on right now that if you enroll for one year, uh, you join and you become a member for one year, you get one free class. That's a 13-week class. If you join for three years, you'll get two 13-week classes. And if you join for five years, you will get three 13-week classes for free. And we are recording them, yes, and they will be also offered in the shop, in the Noahide Nations shop, as are other classes as well. Okay, so thank you for joining me, and I will see you again in the class.